0: Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Bleeding Edge podcast. Today on the show, we have Emma Buratti. Emma, welcome to the show.
1: Hello. I'm really glad to be here.
0: <laughs> now, Emma, today I'm going to have to ch- change the tone of things because you are a world-renowned vocal coach. You help people achieve the heady heights of being able to present in public and uh, not make a fool of themselves. In fact, when they uh, go through your program, they seem to do very well. And uh, you've got a really interesting background because obviously you're a vocal coach and you've launched a new coaching program, but you've got a strong background in corporate comms and PR. And you're also a trained opera singer. You have performed in many fabulous locations. And uh, I think the thing, as I look at your at your profile, that really strikes me is there is this real rhythm to your education. So if I kind of look at starting with the humanities at the Open University, then the London School of Journalism. So you started to get into into writing. Really in, in, interesting one. I love the name, the Instituto Isti- Europeo. The design. I don't know why it's such an amazing name, and then it's just design. But uh, I would have expected designo, yo. and you obviously did your masters in uh, corporate communication there, and and this is great because I spend an awful lot of time uh, talking to CEOs about corporate communication. So, uh, but then Burbeck and you did music, yeah. and so you've got you've got this 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 almost perfect. Per- uh, profile for the extrovert communicator. You can sing it, you can write it, you can say it, and I'm so scared to talk to you because every <laughs> I, I can feel you're just analysing my every inflection and my every intonation, and uh, and so um, I think with that I have to uh, I, I have to ask you. So you you recently posted that you attended a Tony Robbins. Uh, he's called. What is it? Fight Back America is the program, and you and you attended this, and you said I have to help this man. <laughs> and I said, what's wrong with him? And you said he's hurting, and 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 you said I have to fix his voice. I so did. I did
1: do? offer. I did offer, <laughs> but I don't know. I sent him a message. I did offer. I don't know if he'll take it, but um, yes, I think I thought. Well, a man like that, a super billionaire. Obviously, he's tried everything. So why not let's have a go with the bel canto technique? I have my, my suspicions of what's going on there, but um, you know <laughs> he is a very important man, in, and uh, so I. But what know. could you
0: do? So could you could you fix him?
1: Well, I would try. I would give it hundred um, percent. So, and for example, my my teacher, Alma Cesare, she uh, is the daughter of a very uh, well-known professor. Um, he he was, at the time, training with the best in the opera field, like Benamino Aminogili and all these people, so um, she told me that once she had a case similar to his, and she managed to bring him back, because uh, I actually called her, she's now 96, and I called her because Uh, The thing about Tony Robbins is that he says a lot of really important things, I think, and he helps millions of people. So of all the people that should be quiet in this world, I don't think he is one of them. So I took it to heart. So I called her and I said, do you think I could do something for him? she told me that she once had this man that had gone through all these um, hospitals and, and coaches in, and in Switzerland and so on, the most expensive ones, and um, he had lost hope. And then he came to her like the last resource and she gave it her all and she said she brought him back. So it, it would be, let's put it this way, it would be an interesting challenge for Tony Robbins and for me, but I'm willing to give it a go. <laughs> I'm brave. I'd give it a go. What does he have to lose? I don't know.
0: <laughs> so what do you think is actually, like, if we think about the voice, you know, what, what makes a good voice or a bad voice? And I guess the thing is, what context are you using that voice in? Because you're a fabulous singer. I mean, you sing like there is absolutely no tomorrow.
1: Oh, uh, thank you.
0: <laughs> if I open my voice and I start to try and produce some form of volume that even – you know resembles something like a song uh I'm not very precise I, I widely <laughs> miss the mark but you've seen you know having a great voice seems to be about this unbelievable control over the vocal cords and obviously the mouth
1: well let let, let me put it this way the vocal cords are like any muscle in the body and um we all know that we do very strange things to our bodies. And um, it's, a lot of it's psychological, psychological and other things are just inherited. So the technique where I come from, it just defends a beautiful, pure sound. And what we do is stop everything that impedes that. And, of course, how we speak is a reflection of who we are, of our personality, or where we come from, of dialects and so on. So you'd be surprised once you clean a voice of all that. I mean, you can be stubborn and say, that's my identity. But if you want to have a beautiful voice, you have to clean it up. You have to let the sound out. And above all, and this is where the problem lies, the voice has to be in its rightful place which is upright, an upright sound column. And people push it forward towards the nose. And, and a lot of them push it backwards of the vertical. And what happens then? They swallow their own voice. They don't vibrate the vocal cords. And what happens? The vocal cords become, uh, you know, um, like dead muscles, like people that haven't walked for, for 20 years. And then they get out of bed and they have to learn how to walk like a baby. We don't treat them well enough. We don't take them into consideration. I don't think the average person gets up in the morning and says, "Oh, I'm going to, uh, you know, uh, move my vocal cords and do some vocalizations." They just don't do it because they didn't learn how to do it. But a lot of people would be surprised. Like uh, two nights ago, I was working with a podcaster, and uh, she has some issues um, that you know that we're cleaning up and we're correcting. But she's very sweet and she loves singing, but she thinks she hasn't got a voice. And she's tried auditions for choirs and so on. And I I said to her, you don't know if you have a voice or not. No, I do. I do. I can't. I don't have these notes. I said, okay, well, let's stop with the vocal exercises and let's try a sing-along. And it took me 15 minutes. And within 15 minutes, she was starting to pitch these really rounded, mezzo-soprano notes. And she was shocked out of her mind. And I just enjoy that, you know. I just enjoy to free people from these these things that are stopping them from shining. Because we should all shine. We should all be the best we can be.
0: Well, I think there's something really interesting about the way that you market uh, some of this. It's about, I think I I read... um, one of your programs train your voice and bring out you know your charisma by improving the quality of your sound and mastering wording and uh it just really struck me as this idea that we, we think about body language and kind of power body language especially and um yes of course there is you know the the what we're talking about, the content of the speech, and there's the rhythm of it. But actually, changing your voice is not necessarily something that a lot of people, well, I certainly didn't think I could change my voice. You can,
1: you can, you can. When I I started, I have a quite uh, unique uh, trajectory. When I started, I couldn't sing. I didn't have the voice. I could only go up to the middle of the pentagram. What happened was that I went out in the world because I loved it so much. I loved it with a passion. And I would find famous singers that knew how to sing but didn't know how to teach. And then I found singing teachers that, that taught a little bit but didn't know how to sing. And I think to be a good teacher, you have to know how to do both things. And after a long time and many years of searching for the right teacher... I found Alma Cesare, and Alma Cesare and I, during 10 years, built my voice note per note, and she took me up to an E-flat. That's one of the top notes of, of a light soprano. For somebody that couldn't sing beyond middle of the pentagram to go up to an E-flat, note per note, we built it like you build a cathedral. So I know what it's like. We did it together. So I know exactly what it takes to build a voice. And not only do I know, I can do it myself. And I think that is a rare thing because you find the two extremes. The singer that's extremely talented and just does it naturally. And then the, the singing teacher that knows a bit about the, the, the mechanism of the, of the vocal cords, but can't do it themselves. So that's why... I think it's a tradition that should be continued. And now she's ninety six, and and I decided at this point in my life to actually start doing this and teaching and helping people.
0: So you're you're taking the torch, Emma.
1: I am. I am, and it's a it's a centenary tradition, you know. And um, uh, her father wrote a lot of books on uh, vocal technique and. Also, he was very, and a very interesting character because he wanted to be a singer and he went to a really bad singing teacher that ruined his voice. He lost his voice. So he spent the rest of his life learning about how to take care of the voice, how to build the voice. So that family is such an IP of of vocal technique. And, you know, and I had the fortune to find them and I learned from them and yeah, I would like to pass it on too.
0: Now, why is this important? I mean, we're not just talking about for the purposes of singing here. I mean, we're talking about the purposes of communicating. Yes. So and even that was like I said that in a really weird in a, in a really weird way. So I mean you're really about the power of getting the message across and when we talk about communicating it's a lot of like the words and stuff but there's so much else because we've got this multidimensional space.
1: There is there's a lot to it you know and I spent most of li- my life shadowing big men men that were extremely intelligent and extremely busy, business savvy but they had a lot of weaknesses in their communication not necessarily good communicators and and I helped them every inch of the way and it's it's just I don't know I just can't help it I I see it and and I go in and I and and try to to fix it And I know there's all these people dedicated to body language and all these Ted talks and, you know, there's so much about this, but I take a different approach to body language. I don't think you should just go into a place and say to someone, Oh, don't put your hands here. Don't do this. Don't do that. And, and, you know, to me, that's cosmetics. I take a total different approach and I look at the person and I think, well, what is your body telling me? Because your gestures and your body are reacting to what's inside you. So there are several things that will make you look nervous and do strange things. One, that you don't believe in what you're selling. So you've lost the battle already. And I say, okay, even if you're not passionate about your product, there must be something in it that you admire or like, and you have to tap into that. The second one, is that you're you're not sure about your message or what you're saying. You just memorized it and you're nervous that if you forget it and so on. So why is that? Because you're disconnected from your text. Your words, your sound is disconnected from your words. And I say this all the time. It's very different to say, you know, to go up and give a presentation and say something like, um, I'd like to tell you... Um, what my product does for you to saying, I'd like to tell you what my product can do for you. There's a huge difference. One is is it, it's embodied. It's you. It's you who's saying that. The other one, you're just like a parrot. So that's the second reason. So the first one is that you don't believe what you're saying. The second one is that your words are disconnected from your sound. and you're, And then the third one, is that you don't think your tools live up to your expectations. So a lot of people know that they have a boring voice. And what is a boring voice? It's a voice with no intonation. Every sentence is a universe and you should paint it just like a painter. And you have to find your own style and you have to slow down and really take control of the moment. So these are mostly the the three main things, but I promise you, if your body is connected to your sound, to your words, your body will have natural gestures because they'll be connected to you. There'll be expressive gestures. That's why people mostly feel uncomfortable on stage. And then of course, you know, if you think you're boring, then why would anybody else think you're interesting? But I say that you are. So I defy all those, all those managers and directors and CEOs that think they're boring. I defy them. I say you're not. I say you just haven't been taught.
0: Yeah, I can see that. You know, I've been really surprised myself ending up uh, as I've adventured through the social media journey and understanding how we can operate in these new conditions I've come across some people that I would have thought, well, you know, this is Joe. Joe runs the Mosquito Hunter franchise down in Buff, Atlanta. i Buff, and I can't even remember the name of the place. But there he is, and I'm thinking to myself, what can this guy possibly teach me? And there he goes into his spiel about his mosquito business and reclaiming your backyard. And I'm l- listening to him, and I'm going, wow. actually, you know what, I picked up loads out of your interaction, even though your business has got nothing to do with anything that I'm, that I'm, that I'm involved with, although I do have a lot of mosquitoes around my house, MS, so I could probably use his skills. But this is the thing, like when I listen to other people's view on their business, they typically have a unique point of view. And when they express it, they can almost always tell you something that is of great interest or maybe a little value or maybe sometimes great value. Um, and what I got from, from Joe the Mosquito Hunter, is that there is some industrial-grade mosquito gear out there that I might be able to procure. and,
1: uh, <laughs> and well, it is, it is I, I think the digital world is turning everything upside down because even these great broadcasters, Oprah Winfrey, um, all these people, you know, without their props, meaning the studio, the audience, the laughter that prompts you to laugh. If you look at them, I've been observing them and they really, some of them are really lost. They've lost, like you look at some of them, you think, actually, you're not funny. That's not funny.
0: Happened so, to the Noah um, show as well, just Dave. Yeah.
1: Yes. So it's not challenging. Imagine if it's challenging for people of that stature what will it be like for executives that have to endlessly speak on Skype or Zoom and, and have to convey their message without any body language, any charisma? Even if you're a charming person, charming does not translate because there's, there's a time gap between your facial gestures and when the message arrives. A very small gap, but enough to make the communication un, sort of unnatural. So there you are. So what, what do you have? You've got the voice. That's what you've got. And I remember there was a period um, in history that's very interesting. It was, of course, way more dramatic than, than this one, which was a silent movie era. Now, those guys were superstars. There have never been such superstars ever since, Imagine there was nothing, there was no TV, nothing, just the cinemas. So they were like kings and queens of the screen. And then the talkies came in. And I think it wiped out like 80% of them because people look at you and they've already decided what you sound like without you even opening your mouth. Now, that's how impactful it is. So very few people made it. Greta Garbo made it because she had that sexy, low-tone voice. But m- most of them disappeared overnight. Huge stars just because of the voice. And I think this digital revolution is a little bit on, on that uh, on that side of things. Not as exaggerated, but, you know, but it, it is. It is impactful. What's different?
0: What, what's different if you think about communicating with your voice in, in, a, in a face-to-face environment, in a room full of colleagues in a hall versus doing something via Zoom and on a webinar?
1: Well, first of all, um, your, your, your vibrations, your energy is lost, right? When you enter the room, you create a momentum. That doesn't happen on a screen. Right. It just doesn't. Then um, I think it was the um, journalist um, Robert Green that said 55 percent um, of your communication comes through your body language. So that's not that's knocked out 55 percent. Right. So that on top of it. Then um, there's 38 percent that is your voice. And most people have not worked on that. So, you know. Uh, and then also, there's something about people being at home. And um, I always say, be very careful of showing your home and your environment. Somehow you seem to chill down, you, 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 know, you, you get comfortable and um, it, you know, it just doesn't work for you. It doesn't work for you. You are a whole other, a different edge when you you're in your company and when you go uh, into a meeting room. You know, there's 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 energy from everybody and there, there's something that builds. This is just flat. It's it's a screen. So you have to exaggerate everything. I mean, I've been practicing with the camera because now I'm doing um, I'm I'm doing um films and pro- digital products. So, and I, even me, I would do, I would do the recordings and then I would say, Oh, that's low energy. And I would have to exaggerate. So you have to exaggerate and it feels unnatural. But if you don't, you come across as very low energy and uninteresting. And then there's this time span. Then you've lost fifty five percent of your communicational skills. And um, and as I said, if you you know if you used to bank on your charm, that's not working either. So the charm has to come through your voice, pretty much like those days of the radio, right? That they had people that were very specialized in different type of characters and voices. A chap like Peter Sellers that can do fifty characters and sound different. <laughs> you know that kind of skill we've lost. We've lost because we we entered into this world of images so it's all visual and let's let's be honest the screen um you know unless in the future it becomes three-dimensional and and we do all sorts of wonders with um these um video interactions but at the moment they're pretty basic aren't they really
0: terribly basic and i think
1: (laughs) you've
0: raised so many important points there because all we have actually got is our our voice. And even when I run w- webinars, you know, I just put everybody's video off. They can see me. I just want to be focused on the message. I want to be focused on the chat. I want to be focused on, di- you know, just unmuting them and inviting them to come in. And I want to, you know, what was really fascinating for me in the early stages of this podcast, Emma, was I, I took some feedback and the useful feedback was Ralph, it needs to be more punchy, needs to be punchy in the intros, needs to be punchy as you move through the body of it and I really liked that and it helped me a lot because it kind of actually allowed me to validate the investment in the preparation Because, you know, the mission here today really is to understand, well, what are the kind of things that we can do? The first thing was we can change our voice and we can use that change to become more effective communicators. But it's not just about changing how we speak. It's also changing about what we're saying. And so that's really messaging.
1: Oh, yes. I mean, that is... um that is quite something especially in the corporate world where they have i really i really fight against it they have this ambiguous wording that means nothing and they can go on forever and i always say to them you know only se- your words are only 7% impact so you have to choose them carefully and people are only going to grasp two or three concepts so i i for example, one exercise I did with one executive is I said, I said, okay, so write your piece. And he came back with a one-pager. And then I said, okay, I want you to strike out everything that is isn't a noun, a verb, and only keep the necessary adverbs, the ones that, you know, you just can't get rid of. And basically, you know what? He was left. <laughs> he was left with 10 words (laughs) and he read it and it, it 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 made sense so I said there you go so have we missed any messages no so all the rest was just hot air so what are you communicating you know you have to be so focused and I think I always um think that everybody should learn the basic techniques of journalism journalists have to convey everything in 200 500 words they really have to go to the point that's it and the other one is advertisement where they tell a story in 60 seconds so when you go into storytelling you can't spend half an hour you know thinking because you better be good at it let's put it that way because or else the audience is going to disengage but really you should be able to tell your story in 60 seconds that's the truth. They make you smell it, taste it. They go to the point and there's a concept and they grab you. And I, I take those two worlds as a reference. The rest is all blah, blah, blah. You know? And then a lot of data, which is useless because, you know, one of the biggest orators of all time, Cicero, he said that humans are ruled by emotions and that is what you have to appeal to and great speech writers know that and so I think these are the kind of tools that in in the corporate world um, they haven't been taught sometimes they hire consultants and so on but it seems that really good speech writing is um, relegated to politicians and so on right or to really fancy CEOs for example Steve Jobs You know, everybody keeps saying that he's one of the greatest, um, you know, speakers of all time. Well, Steve Jobs did not have a good voice. He did not have any sort of intonation. His speeches were crafted for him. But what stood him apart? That he believed passionately in what he was doing, you know? And again, Cicero said it's best to have a bad speech delivered really well than to have a good speech and deliver it badly. So he, you know, that's the thing. You can you can compensate. He compensated with this passion and vision, and and everybody was in awe of him because he, you know, he transformed so many industries. So it didn't matter so much that he didn't have skill other skills. But you 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 know you better be really. Really, he's like really, really extraordinary in one thing. Another person that comes to mind is Marlon Brando. I think he was the best actor that ever lived. But Marlon Brando had the worst voice that you can imagine. It was nasal, it was uh, insipid, it was difficult to understand. But again, you see him doing Mark Anthony in Julius Caesar, and he blew away. All the British Shakespearean actors, he was just brilliant at it. But why? Because he was so connected to, he was Mark Anthony. He wasn't just saying a text. He was Mark Anthony. So then suddenly he compensated, you know, these other skills that weren't really good. But we're talking about geniuses here. Most of us are not geniuses. So we should really have an all-round education and 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 develop our skills as much as we can in every sense of the way
0: yeah i mean uh, the broadcast process is so changed today and uh what people really want to see is that they can connect with the meaning behind a brand and so often that can really only be communicated by the leader of that business you know if, Sally, the marketing director, comes on and says, hey, this is great. You should buy this product. It's just not delivered in quite the same way. I'm not saying you can't bring that into the campaign because it is great to bring employees into to speak. But there is something. And uh, I always think about the guy that bought the Remington shavers. I love the shave so much. I bought the company. And uh, that was an advert that was going on, you know, back in the 80s and uh and it's that kind of ceo that's almost back you know i love this idea so much it needed to come out to the world i had to get this you know product to market and um it's that kind of conviction that typically can only come from a leader that is passionate about it and so yeah um, i I actually think where, where it leaves the big brands wanting is how do you get You know, the director that is leading some butter brand or some toilet duck brand or, you know, what is some household cleaner to kind of really get behind their product and go, this is the best toilet cleaner in the market or the best household cleaner in the market. I know it's a mundane product, but every product wants a passionate leader to kind of come in and speak for it.
1: Well, I, I I went to this masterclass of uh, the entrepreneur Sarah Blakely. You know her; she's um, the owner Spanx. of Spanx. Yeah, yes. she's like the youngest uh, billionaire in in the history of the states, I think. And uh, she just keeps saying it's not about the it's not about falling in love with the product. It's about falling in love with your client. Yeah. So I think that's the key, isn't it? I mean, um, of course, if you're selling something that you know is not good for your client, then you, you're you betraying yourself. And I think this is why, um, at the end of the day, I think uh, we're all heading towards ethical business because um, I don't think you sleep well at night if you're selling something that is, um, <laughs> you know, not are you good you're for about the healthcare industry now?
0: Are you, are you I'm talking about, about in
1: gen- I'm talking about, no, no. I'm talking about in general. No, hello. You know, you can't live without antibiotics and things like that. No, I'm just talking about, um, you know, sometimes that there are things that, that you know they're not good, mostly in the food industry, actually. We all know that because we're all getting fatter and fatter and with more illness. And um, it would be good to to go in that direction, you know. I think, um, yeah, it's good to believe in 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 what you're doing.
0: Yeah, no, look, I mean, and I, I, I think I
1: mean, toilet paper COVID nineteen has taught us that it is essential for human
0: beings. Well, and it also <laughs> taught us that there are people people behind those toilet paper mills that are passionate about it. Because yeah. I did watch an interview with the guy that said, look. This is the mall. We have a lot of paper. We're not going to be running out anytime soon. You have no problem. Just, you know, leave it on the shelves. Don't take more than you need. Leave some space for the kids to sit in the back. And uh, next week you come, we will have more. Of course, people didn't listen to that. But uh, I I thought the, the story was fascinating because they showed these enormous bales of this material that they were using and the supply chain behind it was a very impressive operation. Um, so, you know, but the, the thing here is that we want to, we want to communicate well and you've learned some really, uh, amazing skills that have been passed down almost in a legacy. And this is really your opportunity now to, to take this method out to the world. And, um, and you've got, you've got something out now, which is basically a six-step uh, six plan. You captivate your audience in, in six steps. And uh, you're coming out with another program pretty soon, which also sounds really interesting. But just tell us, like, you know, what is involved in these six steps and how long does it take?
1: What and then tell
0: me, what, what would you do to my voice? Because is, obviously you're saying, you know, it's the voice of your mind, it's your inner voice, it's your voice but it's, it, there's these things that are, are holding it back. So how do you get it out?
1: Okay, so where do I start? <laughs> the six step? Well, the, the, the six steps are really just a taster for, for people to just go in there and see the basics and get to know me. That's what it really is. Then um, I, I do not function with overnight solutions whoever does is not being honest. So if you want to transform your voice, you've got to commit. And if you want to totally transform your voice, it takes six months to a year. It does. So you have to commit to it, right? But the, the results are amazing. And uh, But then, you know, you can work with people and um, fix do some quick fixes. Um, so that is possible too. But if you want really a you know, transformational state, that takes a long time. And um, as to you, <laughs> well, one of the things um, that I would say is that you open your vowels so you spread them out, right? So if you look at the basic function of the jaw, the jaw goes up and down, right? And your face should actually help it. But when you start doing these kind of spreading, <laughs> you know, your vowels, you're, you're working against it. And then it also tends to push it a bit forward towards your nose. So you're a t- you've got a tinge of nasal sound and then you spread your E's and your A's. So, th- for example, if you had to speak in an audience, your, your voice wouldn't travel focused. It would disperse and open in front of you. So it doesn't project. So those are the two things. And I bet you don't support your sound, which is the key thing. The key thing is to support your sound. I was working with another podcaster this week. Um, she, her voice was, had a shake, uh, a slight shake to it. So it came across like she was really nervous. And her breathing was literally up near her neck. She she looked very nervous, and people were very uncomfortable watching her. So I worked with her to lower that breathing down to the right place and to help us support it. And within half an hour, her, the shake had gone. And she was like, wow. <laughs> I said, yeah, but now, you got it and you're very smart and you got it. But now it's repetition because your body has to memorize it. And repetition is the mother of all skills. That's the thing. I can give you immediately technical exercises that will correct you, but you have to repeat them and make, them, make your body memorize them. This is the difference. That's why I mean if you want a, lot, you know, a big transformation, you, you have to commit to it. You have to practice every day and you have to be checked because if you do the exercises wrong, then, you know, you can even hurt yourself. So Mm -hmm. it is, it is, it's an intense interaction, but, um, but it's great. It's, I just, I like doing it.
0: (laughs) It's nice that there's a bit of danger involved as well. So you need uh, an expert guide
1: well, not, not tremendous danger, but, you know, first of all, it can be totally ineffective if you don't do it the right way. And secondly, yes, if you do something like extreme, you could um, make your vocal cords as uh, you know, clash against each other. And then you can start having things like, you know, nodules and things. So if you do it constantly, so you have to take care, like any muscle, you can't go and run a marathon if you haven't practiced and warmed up and, and, you know, and and prepared yourself for it. It's like everything.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I mean, you talk about being the, uh, an athlete of the voice.
1: Oh, well opera singers are the athletes of the voice no doubt um i mean the things they do no one else can do i know not uh, opera is not everybody's cup of tea but vocally they are the athletes of the voice
0: yeah do you think that's something that everybody should just try and do a bit of training would that be a way of just getting
1: Well, for a body- opera yeah <laughs> Try, la, 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 la. <laughs> like you're more than welcome to try
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: I just did <laughs> I guess I it, didn't get the part oh well.
1: <laughs> it is a it is a fascinating art and um and it should be protected, you know it really should be protected
0: well it i mean be. it's it's an incredible skill, and it's something that I have to. Put myself in a certain mood to kind of sit and listen to it. Um, it, it you know, I, I don't have a love for 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 opera per se, but I do sit and listen, and uh, and I do I wonder at just the sheer control of the voice. And I think there's something because it's the, the you know there's this idea of the frequency and the vibration, but the way that they can get that large bass so full of all of that sound it just creates but not
1: only that it's the delicate with the strong it's the legato Mm -hmm. it's the crescendo it's the pianissimo it's 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 so intricate and then there's style and there's tradition and it's not the same singing Mozart and singing Puccini than singing Wagner. And this, they have to know music. You know, They it's it's really... Now we, we got used to pop and so on. And, you know, I, mind you, I love pop music, but they're not at that level of skill. It's like saying that a Picasso is at the level of skill of Michelangelo. It's not. I love Picasso, but it doesn't take... That level of skill, you know, not everybody can be a Michelangelo. I mean, it's a different concept, isn't it? There's innovation and experimentation, and then there's the, that perfect skill. So, yeah, it is quite it is quite a thing. It's quite an exciting journey. Um, so,
0: what what happens next for you? Because there's a, a real um, focus now on helping clients with this process in a digital environment. So uh, you're really offering uh, these uh, these courses as virtual sessions, right? So um, are you thinking you're going to be doing this as a one-to-one uh, engagement as well?
1: Yes, of course, as one-to-one. Also, I also thought about masterclasses, and I don't think I will be um, only digital. Hopefully when COVID... Um, opens up um, I would like to use the format of actually opera, opera singers which you do a master class and you have two types of subscription you have the audience and then participants and then they see you work with the participants so the audience is learning and seeing from each participant and I work on them life so there's no there's no fooling around they will see immediately in front of them if this works or if it doesn't and uh, they will see me work individually with each one of them because we're, we all have different DNA. So what you do with your voice and your body has uh, got nothing to do with what somebody else does. So I think that's the thing. I don't like generic products. I don't think we are generic. I think we're unique and special. So I want to help people um, unravel that specialness. Yes, there can be general courses for um, basic things that, you know, but in the end, um, I'm also dedicated to, to finding individuals, not masses. So I, I, an intelligent combination of both, I think, would be good.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like people that are out there that really are relying on their voice for their income. And actually, that's a lot of us right now, because if you can't talk, I mean, sign language over Zoom and Microsoft Teams just wouldn't <laughs> be the same. I couldn't do my podcast because my voice wasn't working. So I guess I'm dependent on it too. But, um, you know, this is such a key skill.
1: And but you're very expressive. You're very expressive. This is the thing. If you're an extrovert and you're expressive, you already have, uh, you know, a head, other uh, premise for people that are introverts and already struggled with live presentations. Um. You know, they don't really come across or shine, and everybody wants to get promoted, and everybody wants to get noticed, and you know, everybody's attracted to. I mean, haven't you ever seen a person that wasn't maybe physically attractive, but the moment they started speaking, they 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 got you. Have you ever? I have. Yeah, it's, it's It's extremely powerful. It's extremely powerful.
0: Well, you know, you said work with what you've got. And the thing is, you've got a voice. And if we are being inhibited by these barriers and you can help people construct their speech So that it comes out in a way that is the best version of themselves. And I've kind of got this really, you know, it's this odd idea that you're born with a voice, but then life just kind of does stuff to you. And
1: this uh, this is the thing that this is what I find with everybody I speak to. They are convinced that that's it, that that that's it, that they can't do anything about it. And the moment I start to tamper with them, they, you should see their faces of absolute shock. <laughs> you know, like this podcaster singing gospel and going up to a top note with a really rounded, a full voice. And uh, she couldn't believe it. So it's not true. And I'm the living proof of it because it is true. It is true that. Some people are born naturals, meaning, for example, Pavarotti was very much like that. These people are born with a really high level of activity in their, in, their, in their muscles. And there is such a thing. Ben Aminogili was a natural. So all these people really have to do is understand their mechanism so they don't mess it up. And, but, uh, and then there are different levels of degree. Personally, my muscle activity was very low. But I loved it, and I had the passion, and I didn't believe that it was beyond me. Somehow inside me, I knew there was a singer, and I worked. I worked hard, way harder than most people, and I got to compete with the best. So I'm really proud of that. Okay, and a and, and natural singer is, you know, is going to beat me for sure. But um, you know, just being in the same room with them and studying with them, and I studied with uh, the incredible tenor Carlo Bergonzi. And um, he's a legend. And I was in awe all the time when I was um, studying with him. And, um, you know, those are moments that I cherish and that I could be with him and and that I worked with him and, and that I had his respect. Coming, yeah. from, coming from a girl <laughs> that, you know, couldn't, couldn't go middle of the pentagram.
0: <laughs> Amazing. Well, oh, I mean, I think this is it, you know, and I'm sure they, they were really drawn to your energy and your commitment as, as a result, which uh, Oh, like- I,
1: would, I, didn't, I wouldn't give up. I would go and go, and I was there every day, and I was, yeah, I was really... Like, my, my challenge was the Aria Estrano from La Traviata. And I fought through that aria like there was no tomorrow. It's the hardest thing to sing. I mean, you just go into the opera and and there you are. And it's non-stop and it's just so challenging. It's a tour de force and I fought my way through that. And um, yeah, it it was great times.
0: (laughs) Aria Estrania. No, I'm yeah. well I'll, I'll, uh, I'm gonna write that one down I'm gonna go, and go to it Spotify. it's
1: a beautiful opera you you'll enjoy it you'll enjoy it, <laughs> I'm, sure I yeah. it
0: to be honest. I'm so ignorant <laughs> I have to apologize because I think uh you have this incredible skill but I have watched you performing and and I, And I have to say your, your range is incredible, but one of your passions is uh, is is obviously also listening to to joe rogan so let 's change the the subject for a moment what 's your favorite Joe Rogan episode? what are you what What inspires you about oh, him? i
1: like I like when he goes into history when <laughs> when he brings graham hancock and um because i 'm really into like uh, prehistory I do think I really believe what he says that historians have it wrong. And uh, I just don't know why they're not curious and investigate. I think people, uh, they get stuck to these ideas and like, no, no, that's wrong, that's wrong. And I just, it just gets to me because find out, you know, that's how they found Troy because the guy didn't give up and he said it did exist and everybody was calling him crazy. Haven't we had enough experience of calling people crazy and then they, they are right? can't you just open your mind and investigate and see if it's truth instead of sitting and and refusing and rejecting everything? So when he goes into that kind of stuff, I really am. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah, I'm a big fan myself. Uh, Maybe uh, an event uh, at Gobekli Tepe would be an inspiring moment.
1: Do you know, actually, I was in an airplane and sitting next to me was uh, one of um, the, the, the people that excavate Gobekli Tepe. And she invited me to go because I said I'd love to work in the excavation as a volunteer. And she said, well, come, Emma. And we were going to do it actually last summer. Then, you know, Syria and all these things uh, got uh, troublesome. And she wrote to me and said it couldn't happen this summer. But I haven't given up because I really, you know, I love history. I'm a big history bluff and I write historical fiction. And so, yeah, I love it.
0: You know, I think the historical view of the world just gives us such an interesting way of understanding what's important to humans at different stages. And one of the things that's very topical for us now is obviously climate change. And I was reading the history of Constantinople. And at one point, they had 100,000 people descend on Constantinople that were basically migrating from a climate catastrophe up north where the rains had stopped and so this has been part of human history for such uh, a long time and I feel like we're so oblivious to it and yet here we are so many things that are incredible and amazing that we should be taking advantage of but as as you say we just want to stay invested in the status quo and uh, and maybe that's the safe place to be on the face of it, but it feels very dangerous. Um, but, but yeah. you
1: know, that that's another thing that people like boxes. They really do. So, uh, you know, this is, you're British or you're this or you're that. And genetics is showing that actually, you know, <laughs> whatever you say is probably wrong. And and of course, there's been movements of population through history. And we're all very mixed. And we all have the same genes. And um, sorry about that. And so, you know, it, it just goes to, to prove you're wrong. And um, I, I looked at my DNA not, not so long ago, because I was curious about it. And again, you have a Again, preconceptions of yourself. So I look very much like my father, who was Italian. So I thought I would have all this Italian, maybe some Middle Eastern or something, because, you know, I, I, I kind of look that, from that side of the Mediterranean. And when I went to see my DNA, I was nearly 70% Celt.
0: Wow.
1: I have more ancestry in Ireland <laughs> than I have in the Middle East, even though I look this way. So I was shocked. And I had, a, I had some German in me. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so I find that fascinating, too, you know, that we have all these preconceptions. And, and this, is a, this is the thing about history. If you really dig into history and just not take what, what we've decided to keep or filter, prove re- uh, history will prove you wrong every single time. Every single time, if you really look at the facts, they will prove you wrong, of all your preconceptions. And that's why I like history.
0: Now you're writing a novel. Is it a, hi- a historical novel?
1: Yes, I, I finished it uh, last month. It's, um, it's historical fiction and science fiction. It's a fantasy, really. Fantasy, historical fiction, and um it's in the 17th century in rome and you know at that time you have people like giordano bruno talking about parallel universes You have Galileo Galilei uh, talking about heliocentrism. You have Tommaso Campanella. Uh, So you have all this uh, beginning, sort of beginning of Western uh, science. And I just thought how fascinating that a Dominican monk gets up in the morning and says, oh, there are parallel universes without experimentation or anything. So I couldn't help myself. And then, of course, I mixed it with art. I have my wonderful uh, Gian Lorenzo Bernini is one of the main characters, and I I did um, I respected the the location, so I did a thorough research 17th century Rome. So I'm as accurate as I can be as to the location, but then I take huge liberties with the story. The story is totally fantastic and I had a ball doing it and there's a lot of gossip from uh, the newspapers of the time which were called the Avizi so I take all this gossip and I take all this fantasy and I just created um, this story and um, so now I'm working uh, with an editor because you need somebody you know you're in love with your story so you need someone to have a look at it and tell you hey Emma you know this doesn't work quite well or this needs to be adjusted and yeah it's a new trip and um yeah let's see where it takes us
0: <laughs> that sounds very exciting and having spent 4 days walking the streets of rome literally walking i think i think we did uh 35 kilometers over four days walking in the streets of Rome. And you can really imagine what 17th century Rome would have been like. And, uh, you know, the ruins are vast. They're extensive. You're walking through them. They are hundreds and hundreds, and in some cases thousands of years old. And I think you're absolutely very brave and very smart to ask the question, you know, how does a monk come up with this idea that there are parallel universes and so um i want to find out myself i'm gripped and and uh and the book's not even out yet so if you need a proofreader um so uh, emma with with all of that excitement to come what what are you sharing with people at the moment what kind of connections are you looking for uh you know if you think about how you're going to expand your work as a voice coach um what kind of collaborations would you be open to or what kind of people do you want to make contact with
1: well of course corporations are um a big um possible collaboration and but i'm not limited to that i also think about podcasters and people that have to make a living through their digital products and then there's of course uh the musical side the the (laughs) The audience is so big that sometimes it's a bit daunting, you know. But um, what I do do is I don't want to go in there saying, look, this is who I am, you must believe it. That's not the attitude I'm taking. The attitude I'm taking is I will connect with you with no charge and I will show you. And I know you'll come back once you see what I will. Once I open your eyes, you will come to me. That's my approach. I don't know if it's a very marketable one, but it's an honest one. And it's the one I want to take. So for example, in my website, I have a, a, you can subscribe. And I actually ask you, what do you want to change? What do you feel you need? So Everyone can write there. And then I make the promise of a personalized webinar where I will tell you exactly how that can be solved. So I will give IP for free for sure. And then, you know, check it out, try it out, and then come and talk to me.
0: Mm. Well, it sounds like it's a journey, right? So you're saying if you really want to have an impact, this is a six-month journey, and that's not for everybody because you need to be serious about using your voice and yes. wanting to build it to be the best version. And that's not for everybody. But if you can help people with a few basic problems really quickly with that program, yes. then uh, then that's powerful.
1: Yeah, that's that I can do. Um, one thing I can do in a generic way is stop you from uh, producing more air than sound, you know? You know, a lot of these voices, there's just air coming out. There's no sound. That's why they don't project or they can't be heard. So I can make your vocal cords um, vibrate and produce sound. Another thing I can do is give you an exercise to position that will force you to position your voice upright and take it out of strange places. (laughs) And then a third exercise that can be generic is show you how to produce pure sound, because sound travels in the vowels. It's a e i e, o u. That's where your sound is. Everything else is stopping you from creating pure sound. You cannot do sound with a P, T, K, Ch. You can't. So it's teaching people how to focus on the vowels and flip off the consonants. And that is how you stop doing all these strange things with your mouth and your jaw and, <laughs> and, and and push it into the nose. These are very simple things that I can teach to everyone and will have quite a qu- – and breathing, of course, supporting the voice. So th- those four things I can do in a quick turnaround. But if you want to um, – work on a text like I do it on a text to text space because or else you don't know where to start so I like to say to an executive or a podcaster come with a piece we work through the text together and then literally we will plow through it sentence per sentence and I will ask them which are the impactful words where do they feel the pause what does this mean to you how would you say it would you say it loud would you say it uh, quiet would you make it darker more dramatic would you make it lighter but all these games you play with intonation you can master that if you if you can control your instrument and there are special effects in 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 when you speak like if you want, like the other day, do you remember we were speaking and I said, if you want something quiet to ha- and a pause to have effect, then you have to come from volume and then it makes a huge impact. So the, all these games that you do with the voice, I like to plow through the text with them sentence per sentence and, uh, and they repeat it and then they start to loosen up. And, and by the end of it, um, They just sound like another person, and they sound engaging. So that's that's the way to do a quick turnaround. A quick turnaround. The quickest I can turn around someone is two hours. But for a specific text or a specific moment, if you want to have a total transformation in which you don't depend on anyone, and you you know, then you six months to a year. Yes, for sure.
0: Yeah, for that gold-plated platinum dripping voice, It's <laughs> just
1: yeah, just then, want to after hear that, it. then after that, they can give you, I don't know, a, a, like a prescription, and you read it, and it will sound like Shakespeare.
0: But <laughs> well, this is the power of it, and I, I, I want the superpower I needed in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I've got six months to a year, but we'll give it a go at any rate. We'll try the two hours and uh, <laughs> let's see. we'll try the two hours and I will then ask any listener to tell me if they can pick up a difference pre coaching with, with Emma and and post. So it's not happened yet. So clearly, this is just my normal.
1: Just um, last month, I worked with a Middle Eastern executive, and he had a very uh, precise pattern of speech, and we broke it. And then he did a video uh, for his team, and he told me yesterday that he received so many compliments, and that even his peers were jealous, saying, now you set standards too high. (laughs) So I thought, there you go, you see, and we only did three sessions. We did three sessions, and uh, he was going to the point, and he was be, you know, he corrected his intonation, and he was even personable. He connected.
0: Even personable, I love that. Well, anything that can uh, turn an ugly person into something beautiful has to be worth sharing with the world. And uh, there's
1: no such thing as an ugly person; only an untrained one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> only an untrained voice. Uh, <laughs> no, I love this. this is spreading love, love to the world in a, in a practical way that people can actually go away and do something. Uh, about it and that's what I I I love about what you're teaching I love about the concept and I have found it so powerful just in my own learning and and the kind of development in communication that I can achieve more with less words if I pick the right ones and I deliver them in a powerful way and uh, I'm not the most parsimonious of, of people so uh uh, it's a, a long-term goal of uh, goal of mine to be, you know, very specific and and very clear because I think it's a great skill and it's a great skill to to teach people. So, anyway, thank you very much. It's been an absolute delight having you on the podcast and just hearing all about the bleeding edge of your inner voice, the voice, the vo- voice, of your mind. That's what it is.
1: It's, all, head. Head. it's all in what- your head. That's what. That's what gives the orders. That's what controls everything, your mind.
0: Well, we look forward to uh, exploring the voice of my mind, hopefully. And uh, <laughs> we wish you all the best with this endeavor. And, Thank um, you. And look forward to catching up with you again. This has been the Bleeding Edge Podcast. I'm your host, Ralph Banker. See you on the edge.